0: Hi, I'm Margie and you're listening to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the weekly podcast where each week I interview a different guest and find out about their seven Desert Island dishes. The question is, could you narrow down your own choices and settle on the best dish you've ever eaten? Thank you for downloading and listening. It's so exciting to have so many of you listening along each week. And I love that I'm coming with you to the gym or on your commute and seemingly on lots of dog walks, which is really cool. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate and review as it really does help other people to find out about the podcast and you can count it as your good deed of the day. Without further ado, here is today's episode. My guest today is Simon Rimmer. Simon is probably best known as the co-presenter of Channel 4's Sunday Brunch. Simon has presented a whole host of different TV programs over the years and he's also written five very successful books and he regularly writes for food magazines. He is the chef and owner of nine restaurants in the northwest of England and one in Dubai. Many people may not know that Simon actually used to freelance as a textile designer and a ceramic decorator. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? I mean, I love the sound of a ceramic decorator.
1: Well, you know, when I did, I did a degree in fashion textile specializing in print. And obviously when you do print, then it's any medium really. And I got friendly with some people in the ceramics department and I did some hand decorated tableware. So I used to sell in Liberty's, Harrods, Harvey Nichols. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, two shops in Osaka, Bergdorf Goodman in the States, and then loads of small shops. So yeah, it was, it was, it was brilliant. And then when we started Greens, then we used to do bits of our own um, hand-decorated tableware.
0: That's so cool. You weren't messing around. Those are no. some pretty serious no, stockists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we are sitting in Greens in Manchester, which was the first restaurant in what would become your restaurant empire. Can you believe it was 28 years ago?
1: I mean, it's quite terrifying. I remember when we had our fifth anniversary and it seemed like it had been an eternity to get to that really? point. Really? But now... Every year it just flies by, you know, it, it really, really does. I know, maybe it's just the fact that you get more used to it. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, I've got so many of them now. I yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but am I right in saying that you didn't train as a chef and you never worked in food when you bought this restaurant way back in 1990? I
1: mean, I'd worked as a, as a waiter yeah. um, when I was a student. Then I used to work in the Student Union bar. And then when I first left, when I was starting out as a designer, I used to work part time in a restaurant, but I'd never cooked and literally, when we opened up here, it was the first time I'd ever really cooked. I mean, I like cooking, but I wasn't, you know, I, I like cooking the same way that anybody likes to cook. I could make spaghetti bolognese, chili, and yeah. quite decent cheese and ham toasty.
0: So you, you took over a cafe and was kind of the idea you were going to be front of house?
1: Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, so Simon, my business partner here, who is still my business partner now, all those years later, we... Basically, figured that we'd be front of house lotharios. That yeah. we would basically have a restaurant to chat girls up. That that was the plan. <laughs> and it was only when when we started doing a proper business plan, we realised we couldn't afford to employ anybody. So it meant one of us had to go in the kitchen. And, and genuinely, I lost. It was a proper toss of a coin.
0: Are you joking?
1: Yeah, I, I genuinely lost. But also, within a month. I'd fallen in love with the whole process of kind of cooking uh, and the whole thing about kind of learning about food and produce. Um, I used to go to market every day at five o'clock and then we would buy food. I would create a menu every day, which is a ridiculous way of doing things, but I didn't yeah. know any better. Yeah. So you go and go, oh, those red peppers look nice. I'll have three boxes of those. And then you come back with all this stuff and go, what am I going to cook? I've no idea. But it was a really great way to learn.
0: Yeah, an amazing way to learn. So had you always wanted to own your own business?
1: Yeah. You see, my dad, when he worked, um, he was a metallurgist. And always he'd always sort of said, oh, you know what, I've had my time again. I'd only ever worked for myself. Well, I've only ever worked for myself. I've never had a job. Apart from bits of part-time work, I've only ever, you know, created my own income. Yeah. So I think always I I wanted to kind of work for myself.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the first desert island dish of the day. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: Lasagna bizarrely. Um, My mum, who is a great, great cook, um, my mum's lasagna has become sort of world famous. Oh, really? Because my mum doesn't like making bechamel sauce. So my mum puts cottage cheese in her lasagna. Oh, right. Rather than doing a bechamel sauce. And that's... What we were brought up on. And it's brilliant because there's a little bit of acidity. Yeah. Um, it's got a different flavor. Um, and it's fantastic. So, whenever I kind of think of lasagna, I, mean, I like all lasagnas, but my mum's lasagna, to this day, if we're all going over to my mum's, I still want to cook lasagna. It, it's so evocative of, of growing up
0: god that sounds amazing yeah because bechamel can be a bit of a faff can't it
1: well and the thing is my mum's a great cook i think she just i she says she doesn't actually know how she started doing it because i because I've, I've i've had that old question was like you know surely it couldn't be a problem for you to make a bechamel sauce yeah. of be really good cook?" i <laughs> said i can't remember why i think it might have just been uh, i'd forgotten to make one it assembled everything else thought i'll chuck cottage cheese in it almost sort of one of those happy accidents yeah but bizarrely if you do it in the right portions it actually qualifies to be a weight watchers meal oh really is, is so fat yeah
0: a top tip from Simon and um, so did your mum do all of the cooking when you were growing up
1: no my dad cooks as well so I think I've always been surrounded by food you know both mum and dad are good cooks and also both my grandmothers were brilliant cooks as my dad's family are Italian from origin my dad's mum was Italian. So she was always a really good cook. And then my mum's mum was the most amazing cook. She used to make the most fantastic apple pie of, of all the things that she did. Her apple pie was, was world famous. So I've always been surrounded by food.
0: Have you got the recipe for that apple pie?
1: No. <gasps> it's it, it, kind of one of those things. I don't think it was anything special. I think there's just some people just have a really good touch with pastry. Um, yeah. my, my nan was one of those.
0: If you went back in time and asked your 10-year-old self, would he be surprised at the career that you've had?
1: yeah i think I think very much, really. I think when I was ten, same way as my, my son, who's now fourteen, when he was ten, I watched to be a footballer when oh, I was yeah. ten yeah um I still do now actually. I'm still kind of waiting for that call yeah. <laughs> even, even at even at fifty four i'm I'm convinced that Jürgen Klopp's going to pick up the phone when they're a bit short and ask me to Are play. you any good not now i was I, no, even then I was no i was I was all right. I love football, but I' was never yeah. kind of good. My son's a much better player than me, but um I don't know what I imagined I would do. I think when I was at school, I mean, I ended up doing, you know, a degree in, in fashion, textile, design. Art was probably the thing I was best at in school. Art and languages were my two things, so I don't think I ever would have envisaged a career in food.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess if you were Ted and you were walking around saying, when I'm older, I'm going to have 10 restaurants, people might not have, you know, that yeah. seems very ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think even I think that's ambitious now. <laughs> the second desert island dish is the first dish that you learned to cook.
1: So I learned to cook because I, I am of the age where we used to do um, cookery at school. And so the first dish I learned to cook was was called a cheese, onion and potato pie. But it was basically a baked mashed potato. Um, and it was it was delicious. So you would boil potatoes with onions. So the onion softened. And then you'd fundamentally it was simple as kind of mashing them with plenty of cheddar cheese. You then sprinkle more cheddar cheese and breadcrumbs on the top and you bake it. And it was delicious. It didn't really stand up in its own right. But I remember I used to cook it for the family, and you'd have it with sausages or something like that. So we glorified sausage mash. That's the first thing I liked to cook. And it, it was, back in the day, my signature dish. In fact, I sent it into the Liverpool Echo. As if, as if it was my own. Oh. And it got published, <laughs> and I got a 50p postal order. That oh my was my goodness. first published, paid bit of work as a chef.
0: 50p, hitting the big time.
1: Honestly, <laughs> uh, I, I almost don't ever need to work.
0: <laughs> so when you decided to buy what was just, it was a small cafe at the time, wasn't it? You you literally couldn't cook no. even spaghetti bolognese. No. So d- were you serving customers from that day one?
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, what we did, once we'd kind of bought the restaurant and the lead up to it, we genuinely opened up with kind of two cookery books and we just worked hard, really. But I think because I'm from a creative background, and, and also the industry was nowhere near as sophisticated as it is now. You know, back then, a ready meal would be a curry or... Uh, a lasagna you know whereas now you know you look at the choice in a supermarket it's amazing travel is so much cheaper now so people travel the world far more so there wasn't quite the level of sophistication so i think you could kind of get away with it there weren't as many restaurants i mean where we are now so within within a five minute walk i think there are now 18 restaurants from from where we sit now which when we opened 27 years ago there were three wow so you know, it, it was a very, very different market. And I think yeah. what we did, we were just very, very nice. Again, service wasn't something that was particularly brilliant back then. Yeah, um, And we just felt that, you know, it was Simon and I, a couple of our mates, there was a very small number of staff. So we were just very, very nice to people. So I think we kind of got away with it because we were nice.
0: Yeah, and you had customers from day one. Yeah,
1: we had customers from day one. We were busy from day one. And we, you know, I, I, I have a very obsessive personality. So I wanted to be... Good. Once I got to the point where I was learning to cook, I wanted to be good, and it consumed me completely.
0: Yeah, I mean that is diving in the deep end, isn't it? Do you think in your business life in general, would you say you're a risk taker?
1: Yeah, I I think I would think any single person who is who is entrepreneurial or is self employed, I think there's a level of risk that that you have to do, and I suppose as well that your level of risk is different depending on where you are. You know, back when I opened then, I was 27, single, no kids, no commitment. So what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. It, it goes wrong and you owe the bank a few quid and then you start again. You know, so it, it wasn't a massive risk. And also, I think we had a, a level of confidence and excitement in what we were doing. So yeah. I think that, that's, a, that's a good thing as well.
0: Definitely. So exciting. Okay, the third Desert Island dish is the best dish you've ever eaten.
1: Yeah, this is a really, really tricky one because I think it falls into two categories, really. There's the, there's the best physical dish that you've ever eaten. And then there's the most memorable, really, you know, that comes around being, you know, the the most amazing thing you've eaten because of the sort of circumstance. But if I go for the best technical dish that I've ever eaten, it would have to be an entire meal. There's, the, my favorite restaurant in the world is called Azurmendi, which is in Bilbao. Okay. And it's the most beautiful restaurant. And, and Eniko, who is the head chef there, it, it, it's such beautiful quality food. And we had a, a an eight-course tasting menu. All of it was beautiful. We had to single out one particular dish. Then there was an ox cheek that had been slowly cooked, in the most beautiful stock and red wine jus that had been reduced down. I, I'm salivated just a yeah. it. it was just the most beautiful piece of cooking that I'd ever, ever eaten. That, that would have to be top of the list.
0: That sounds amazing. Sounds really good. Enough said. <laughs> so I love that you became a sort of accidental expert on vegetarian cooking just through your decision to buy the Vegetarian Cafe. And you even penned a book with the name, The Accidental Vegetarian. But you yourself are not a vegetarian.
1: No, I'm not. I mean, it's funny. Over the years, I think your eating habits change anyway. And I think the older I get, the more I'm concerned with kind of, you know, what I eat and try and keep the ravages of time at bay. Um, I probably eat more veggie food now than I've ever done. Um, But I've always really liked veggie food. So I think it was, I think what we managed to do very early doors at Greens was create a menu that didn't feel that it was just for a vegetarian market. And yeah. Because I wasn't vegetarian, either, was some business partner. And also, you know, we were, we were earning no money doing this when we started. So we had to eat out of the restaurant. So you wanted to have food that we liked. And, and back then, a lot of veggie food was very worthy. It was very heavy. It was very sort of brown. And so I think because I, and also I think because I'm, had no training, I didn't know what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. So I just tried to do things that I found exciting. And we went from kind of our standing start in September 1990 to two years later, The Guardian describing as one of the most exciting new wrestlers in the UK, which was just...
0: I mean, that's amazing. Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) Absolutely unbelievable. You know, I I remember just that that it was tiny. It was like, you know, sort of two column inches. And it was just the most fantastic thing. Mm -hmm. You know, still to this day, I think, you know, of all the things I've achieved... From our background to that point, it was a really, really proud day. Yeah. It really, really was. And when
0: that got published, did things just go a bit crazy?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, we were busy anyway. But this, I remember when it happened, it was a Friday it came out, and the phone went even more crazy than normal. And it, it was always a standard joke. If you phoned here on a Friday for a table at the week, and say, when's your next table available? It was 5.30 on a Tuesday. And it got to the point where the next table we've got available is 5.30 in three weeks' time kind of thing. Because we were only 27 covers So we had to turn the tables, but it was busy, busy, busy. And it did go absolutely bonkers. That's
0: amazing. I think you're right when you say the fact that you aren't a vegetarian probably actually helped quite a lot because you're sort of coming at it from a different angle. And like you say, you just, you didn't know any difference.
1: Well We we, we ended up being sort of quite trailblazers for modern vegetarian food and and not deliberately, you know, it sounds very arrogant to say that, but I think what we were doing, I looked at techniques that uh, people were doing with meat-based food so back then nobody was really doing with veggie food nobody was really doing like reduction sources using kind of wines and stocks they would always be kind of tomato based or curry based or cream based and we just thought well you know i really like like i like gravy yeah so fundamentally you know that that's a reduction source and so we just thought well why can't we work in that way so i think that was kind of what we did and just you know by default, it ended up being, people would start talking about us going, that's amazing, veggie food. Yeah, you know, that's, that's really, really fantastic. It's very meaty. And it wasn't, we never used meat substitutes or anything like that. It was just that it appealed to a broader audience. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. I, in my research of you, I read an interview from back in 2006, where you were discussing how lots of people who had previously been vegetarian, for moral reasons, were starting to eat more meat again, as sort of the quality and high welfare meat became more available. And I thought that was really interesting how things go because now, I mean, I, I don't know for certain, but I would imagine that there are more vegetarians than there ever have been.
1: More vegans than there ever have been, certainly. I mean, I think that, you know, the the, the veggie market, uh, the main crux of it is, is young females. So that sort of tw- 18 to 35 is, is constantly the biggest kind of rise in vegetarians. But the vegan market is an older market and not, As quite female as skewed. So
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: So you're getting a lot more kind of sort of 25 to 45 year olds who are who are taking on a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, really, is what people are calling it rather than vegan. Because what they'll do is they'll take on a plant-based diet, but they're not vegan. You know, vegan is a whole kind of lifestyle in terms of you know what you will wear, how you will lead your life. Oh, I see. Whereas whereas the diet-based one is purely about what people eat. I mean, now at Greens, we are probably, with the exception of desserts, we're probably 70% vegan. Not deliberately just about supply and demand, you know, people wanting it. And so, you know, and it's exciting from a creative point of view it's a real challenge, but in a good way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more of a challenge to make delicious things when you're sort of slightly limited in what you can use. I always use
1: the analogy that, you know, if you, if you buy yourself a beautiful piece of 28 day aged fillet steak, you oil it, put it in a pan, put some salt and pepper on it, jobs done. You can't really do that with an aubergine. You know, you've got to work harder to make it (laughs) taste.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And so I guess you kind of had a unique, perspective on the sort of clean eating phenomenon that we've experienced in terms of that kind of food you've actually been making for quite a long time?
1: I don't think we ever embraced anything uh, that was similar to kind of clean eating. I think what we did, we did food that had no meat in it. So, you know, our food was historically always very rich. I think it had more in common with sort of Mediterranean slash a little bit of French cuisine. We weren't afraid to use kind of butter and cream. Yeah, I think in the last two or three years, I think that we have far more healthy stuff. I mean, I've always hated that expression, clean eating," okay. which has proven to be nonsense anyway. But I think a, a more simplified, pure way of eating is what's happening. And I think we've always been um, ingredient-driven, and in many respects, that's actually what that whole movement is about. It's yeah. about saying, you know what, don't mess around with these ingredients. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna eat lentils, lentils are beautiful. Just keep it really, really simple. Don't kind of dress it up, hide it, mask it. So I think that's really the, the way that the, the the market's going from veggie point of view.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. The fourth Desert Island Dish yeah. is what is your favourite sandwich?
1: Uh, okay, so again, tricky because I have two, but I, I plumped four. I like. Cheshire cheese or Lancashire cheese with pickled beetroot and mustard, and it's um, always on uh, granary bread. I like the flavour of it, so you get that kind of the you get the, the saltiness, the bit of zip from the beautiful cheese. Pickled beetroot is a fantastic thing. Bit of heat from the mustard, and then I like a, I like a grainy bread always. Um, but it's also it's also a lucky mascot bread. Oh. It's a lucky mascot sandwich. Oh right! So back in the day when <laughs> Liverpool were the greatest team in Britain in in the eighties, then whenever we used to go away and we used to go away and watch them quite a lot, I would always take cheese and beetroot sandwiches. So they became the lucky sandwiches. <laughs> So it would always be that you had to take them so it became kind of a a compulsory thing as well as being my favourite sandwich. Uh,
0: So what happened? Did you stop making them?
1: Well, (laughs) basically, I I think now, if if I were to take over the the caterer at Anfield, then I think the day before matches, all the team would be fed cheese and beetroot sandwiches and we'd get back to the top of our our pinnacle of being the best team in the world. You could turn
0: it all around. Yes. What are they waiting for? Yeah. They'll be knocking on your door. So what's your second favourite sandwich? Uh, Chicken and coleslaw. That's also a great option. Oh, yeah. love it.
1: So it's, it's got to be shredded chicken. I kind of like it when it's kind of when it's slow cooked. So you just shred all the meat. It's really, really moist. And then a beautiful, lovely, chunky coleslaw. I probably have a bit of mustard on that as well, because I'm obsessed with the kind of bit of in sandwich. Yeah, that yeah.
0: sounds good. That sounds like one that you could kind of adapt around Christmas time to sort of have a Christmas...
1: Yeah, or... yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest. I don't really like to mess with the sandwiches. Okay, you know, it's it's kind of there are rules on that. You know, that that's the, the chicken and coleslaw. That's the cheese and pizza. I tend not to mess around. Okay, with yeah.
0: Your face has gone very serious. You know,
1: I, I'm <laughs> just sort of thinking. You know, when you and I go out for lunch, and if you kind of eat, suddenly you start messing around, if I say yeah, I'll have a chicken coleslaw sandwich, I, I suddenly find yeah. that you've added gherkins into my sandwich or something. No, I, we I, may not be. I friends. won't be happy.
0: No. <laughs> um, let's talk about your working week a little bit. Because you do so many things and you seem to be in so many places at the same time. You have nine restaurants in the UK alone. You do all this writing. You do cookery demonstrations. And of course, you host Sunday brunch. So what does your working week typically look oh, like?
1: Okay. So, I mean, it changes every week. The only, the only um, constants are Sunday brunch. So I'll go to London on a Saturday afternoon. And then I go to bed at 9.30 on a Saturday night. I get up at 5.30. I'm in the studio at 6. We rehearse. We go live at 9.30. Finish at 12.30. And if it's a normal week, then I'll get the train back about 20 past 1, get back into Manchester at 4 o'clock. So that's my kind of – that's my static. Yeah. Then, outside of that, it depends what's happening in in various restaurants. So I will be, with the exception of Dubai, I will be on – every site at some point during every week.
0: Okay. Um, Wow.
1: (laughs) uh, Whether that is for a menu meeting, whether it's just a call in to kind of see new staff, whether it's just to kind of check standards, then equally my food team. So there's myself, Michael James Hart is my head of food, Amy and Jason, we're the two sort of team leaders. So we'll meet on a regular basis and we'll have various sort of plans. We have lots of forward planning. I speak to my agent probably every other day i write four recipes a week minimum for sunday brunch and then all the other stuff dips in and out so bits of pr stuff you know i'm doing a bit of work with web of the barbecue people at the moment cookery demos um every now and again so yeah it's it's i I reckon i do at the moment i reckon you about 60 65 hours a week
0: i feel exhausted just (laughs) listening to that i'm guessing that means you you get up pretty early
1: I get up about 5.30, pretty much probably five days a week, I reckon. And you're Um, quite
0: into your early morning boxing?
1: I box twice a week. I do a session with a personal trainer once a week. And then I go to the gym probably one other day, if not two, um, as well. Plus, I walk my dog every morning. Uh, Plus, I have a wife and two kids. What kind of dog do you have? We've got a Labradoodle. Oh. So she gets walked every morning.
0: But I like I like how you were saying before about your time on Strictly has actually made you sort of changed things a bit for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it
1: has. I mean, it, it was interesting because with Strictly I mean it's it's all consuming and it takes you out of the loop of your business. And I thought it would be quite demanding, but it was far more so than I thought. So I had no choice but to say, listen, you know what, I actually can do very, very little yeah. business during the time of minute. And I was in for a total of 13 weeks. The lead up the time I was in, got knocked out week six. And you come out the other side and you go, businesses are absolutely fine. Yeah. And it did make me realize that maybe there are times that you know, I, I'm a big believer in, in working efficiently. You know, we, we're, we're trying at the moment with all of our team to make them have a much better work-life balance. And I am the world's worst for that work-life balance. Yeah. So I think yeah. I'm trying at the moment to do it. So I've been quite, I've been quite strict on making sure that. I keep my time aside for boxing because I love it and I try and make more time for my wife and the kids, which kind of works. I mean, they uh, they probably get the rawest deal out, out, yeah. out of it, which I, I think, think that's always everyone way. would say that, Yeah, you know, they're always going to be the one that you're going to kind of let down, unfortunately. But I do feel that, you know, I've got a bit more quality of life than, yeah. than I've are, had for a long time.
0: Are you a natural delegator?
1: I'm not bad, actually. A, a, a big eye opening moment was when we probably had maybe four restaurants. And then you realize that up to that point, then I was the, the the center of the universe, everything I wanted to know, every single thing. And then you hit the point where you go, actually, I can't do that. And almost allowing your team to take the reins a little bit. And if, if you're a good employer and, and you give them a good job, then they want to do well both for you and for them because they feel the rewards in it for them. Yeah. And it amazed me the, the, the benefits of actually allowing that to happen. And it changed the way in which we sort of look at the way in which we kind of, our management team in particular, the way in which we give them their, their legs to kind of go on and do stuff and, and make decisions and we'll back them. And if they're, if they're not right, then, you know, they'll have done it with justification.
0: Yeah. The fifth desert island dish is the dish you eat the most often.
1: That would be any form of fish whether it be salmon sea bass cod and what is affectionately known in our house by the kids is spicy rice so basically it's rice with any form of kind of vegetables and spices and it's braised rice so you so you bake it so oh. that it's really moist so and the simple way of doing that is you have whatever you do by volume so if you had a cupful of rice you'd have two cupfuls of stock You mix it all together, fry off all the bits you want to put in it, stick it all in, put it in the oven, and it gives you perfect rice every time. That is probably our go-to dish. I could probably eat that every day.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. So do
1: you do most of the cooking at home? Well, my wife, Ali, used to be a chef um so she she does more of the cooking because she's home more than i am but yeah. when i'm home i like to cook because it's very different it's very different cooking for friends and family than it is cooking for well on our biggest site cooking for 700 people in a day kind of thing so yeah. it's a very it's a very different beast
0: slightly different ballgame yeah it's also very different cooking when you're not going to eat it i always find
1: yeah that's a, that's a really good point actually i i've never genuinely never really thought of it that yeah. way but, but no but you're right because When you're cooking for other people, then you'll have a little taste, making sure that the taste of it is right. But then so much of it is about uniformity, presentation, making sure it's going out at the right temperature on the right plate in the right way. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right.
0: I'm a very wise... Yeah, good. I yeah, like that. Not just a hat rack, Simon.
1: I'm going to nick um, that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so your life is all about food. You're constantly um, testing recipes and cooking in your restaurants. Um, what is your approach to health when it comes to the food you eat?
1: I'm very healthy. I mean, I think like anybody, if I've had a few drinks, I like nothing more than a filthy, dirty doner kebab on the way home. That, yeah. That, yeah, that's a fact. But on a day-to-day basis, I eat really well. I think, you know, in the last... Probably the last five years in particular you know i'm i'm fifty four now and just i i i exercise all the time i have
0: to say you do not look fifty four shoot like, that's really joy don't. of radio
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I, but i do i do i do look after myself you know i've never smoked um i've never taken drugs um i i like a drink but i'm not like a massive drinker um and i like nice food yeah um but then equally i won't I won't deny myself anything. If I'm out on a really fancy burger and chips, I'll eat burger and chips. I'm not evangelical about it. You know, I sort of try and sort of balance things. Yeah, know? sort
0: of everything in moderation, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean,
1: I, I think I, I just know I feel better if I kind of do it. I think, I think that's the thing, you know. But, but then equally, you know, I do taste things and test things all the time. So yesterday, for example, I tasted four different types of brioche. And by the end of it, you think, can't do anymore because you're just sitting with a big brick yeah. in your stomach. Yeah. Um,
0: Imagine what it would be like being a judge on Bake Off.
1: Yeah. I with all that cake. I, I, well, I've done. I've done many competitions where I've done sort of cake tasting, and it is pretty brutal. At the really.
0: End of the I mean, it, to me, that sounds like a dream job. It doesn't take long. <laughs> it, honestly,
1: it doesn't take long until you go. I've had enough. It's you probably, promise. Probably I four it. cakes in, really? and you go because it's so sweet. And I think I don't have a sweet tooth. So maybe it's slightly different if you've got a sweet tea. Yeah,
0: that's probably not your dream job no, then. <laughs> no, You do so many different types of cooking, restaurant cooking versus cooking live on Sunday brunch, often whilst interviewing someone. And I wondered which of those is the most exciting?
1: Um, all of them, really. Um, I think, you know, my... my... My wife always sort of says she dreads the day if I only ever had one job. Oh, really because I would drive her insane. I like the variety in what I do and I like the challenge of all it. And also I think there's a crossover. I think what we do in the restaurants, we will adapt and sometimes cook on Sunday brunch, so it's maybe not quite as restauranty, and the same vice versa. You know, you'll do something that's really quite simple on the show and you think, you oh, know what, this is actually a great restaurant dish. They don't they don't have to be complicated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do we do casual dining. So I like all of it. I like I like the whole thing. I think I think from a TV point of view, I think my viewpoint is what I want more than anything is people watch the show and go, I want to go and cook. Not yes. necessarily cook that dish. Say, for example, if I do something with lamb and someone will go, do you know what? I haven't cooked that lamb chop dish that I really like making for ages. And if it makes people go to the shop, buy some food and cook for themselves, that's, that's one of the best things you could do, I think. That, that's the nicest feedback I get from people.
0: Definitely. I mean, you make it look very effortless on Sunday brunch. Have you ever cooked something that just hasn't gone to plan?
1: God, loads. Br- <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's, there's loads. I mean, the, probably the, the biggest, two biggest disasters on Sunday brunch. One was when we did um, salt baked sea bash. You know, you get a whole sea bash, yeah. and bake it in salt so it's really, really nice. And yeah. nice. So uh, we were cooking with Ricky Gervais. Huh? And unbeknown I mean, to me, the oven had tripped out midway through. So and the minute I opened the oven, I knew because there's no heat coming out of the oven. And it was literally a raw piece of sea bass with a load of salt (laughs) on it, a whole sea bass. So that was number one. Then the other one.
0: What did Ricky Gervais do?
1: Oh, he was very sympathetic not. So I just got the back (laughs) ripped out of me for the whole of the show. So that was a disaster. And then the other one more recently, Ashley Banjo was on. And uh, I was doing a dish where you basically, uh, you make a chili oil. So you put the oil in the pan, let it get nice and warm, add um, a big load of chili flakes and star anise. You get a really lovely flavored oil. Anyway, so in that normal way that, you know, we're we're chatting away before it starts. And I hadn't noticed that the oil had got far too hot. So I chucked in the chili flakes. And it's like someone's put tear gas into (gasps) the room. So everyone was just choking. And it's the only time. Well, the smoke. Yeah. And it's that hard chili smoke. So you can't breathe. And it's the only time, and I mean, I've been doing telly for, what, 17, 18 years on and off. And it's the only time I've actually not been able to finish the dish because we, could, we couldn't cook it because we'd ruined the oil and I was cooking it live. Then it had prawns into it. We oh, couldn't do it because the oil was so contaminated. So we actually ended up, I had to cook it over the break. I had to come back and kind of taste it. Then it's the only time. That was, that was awful.
0: I bet you remained cool as a cucumber. Uh,
1: we well, see, I think the thing is, when you do live telly, Then one of the joys is things going wrong. And I think you have to be aware of the fact that, you know, our show, you know, we've humiliated ourselves in in many ways, not just from a food point of view. You know, we've worn dresses, high heels, (laughs) taken our trousers down. We've done done a beach towel challenge with Jason Byrne, having to kind of like take our trousers off while we're doing that. So, you know, making a fool of myself is something I'm, I'm pretty good at.
0: I imagine in that scenario with the smoke, it's more the camera people who are freaking out slightly more than you. Yeah. Like, um... <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, it, it, was, it was awful. It was absolutely <laughs> At least awful. you're not
0: alone. Like, there's a production of yeah. panicking yeah. around you. The sixth Desert Island dish is your go-to dinner party dish.
1: See, it's a tricky one on that, because never, we never have dinner parties. Well,
0: no, I was going to say, do you yeah. ever have time to have dinner?
1: We, we, we never, ever do it. But if I do cook for people, Because what tends to happen in our house, our house is a bit like a station because my son's 14, my daughter's 20. There's always people staying in our house over the weekends, always. And then when we have friends around, it tends to be we'll cook stuff. We never really do formal dinner parties, you know. So, And I would always do something that is low and slow. So, you know, obviously I am the inventor of pulled pork. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so it would be something like that. Slow-cooked pork, slow-cooked lamb, anything where you can just leave it to be. So it would be some form of meat protein, plenty of kind of salady stuffs, maybe some flatbreads, maybe some kind of spicy potato. So it would be something along those lines because I, I hate dinner parties. Yeah, I hate dinner parties because my wife turns into somebody I don't know. Oh, really? Well, she kind of... So, say for example, on a, on a normal day, if I if I get home, I want a cup of coffee and a piece of bread and butter. So I'll yeah. go to the cupboard, I'll get the the instant coffee, I'll put it in the cup, I'll put the hot water on, I'll drink my coffee, I'll get out the actually we don't have white sliced bread anymore. I'll get out a slice of bread, I'll butter it, and I'll put some kind of jam on it. But if, when the days back in the days when we used to have the odd dinner party, then the instant coffee would be hidden, and it would be <laughs> that coffee machine that takes ten minutes to make one cup would be out. And rather than our normal bread, it would be some handcrafted Peruvian bread that's made by left-handed monks (laughs) up a mountain somewhere. So, you know, so she She, changes. She
0: becomes like Hyacinth Bouquet. Yes, Yeah. exactly that. I think everyone does that to some extent, don't they, when you have people coming around. That point you make about the pulled pork, is that true? Of course it's true, no. So basically
1: what happened was, we did pulled pork on Sunday brunch, I can't remember how many years ago, and... Channel 4's website just went crazy. I think it was just a, a time and a place thing. And, yeah. and Tim really kind of loved the dish and everyone just downloads it. And I think to this day, it's still one of the most downloaded recipes in the history of Channel 4. Wow. Um, so we just started this thing saying, oh, you know, people really like my new invention. And it just kind of stuck. And then somebody put on Wikipedia that I was the inventor of pulled pork. And it keeps coming up and up. <laughs> but, the, but the funny thing is that whenever we have American guests on the show, will say, you know, the Iron invented Of yeah. go, I, I, I'm sure it's been around in the, in, in the States for years, but they're just too polite.
0: I mean, if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. It's true, exactly. Yeah. You obviously decided with all the many things that you do that you weren't quite busy enough and you took part in Strictly Come Dancing. How was that?
1: One of the best things I've ever done. Really? Oh, it, it was incredible. Because I, I mean, I can't dance as, as, as I proved on Strictly. Um, but I knew plenty of people who'd done it and all of them said, Listen, if you get the chance to do it, do it. But so I can't dance it. It doesn't matter. It's one of the most amazing experiences that you can do. And it, and it really is. It's, it's like being a member of the greatest private members club. And, you know, oh, and, and, and the whole thing, everyone says, oh, yeah, and you stay in touch with people. The WhatsApp group stays live. And it does. Oh, that's it so it nice. really, really does. And in fact, I went out for lunch with, with Molly King last weekend. And then we're trying to organise. Once the tour's finished, we're trying to organise a reunion for everybody. And it it's just, I mean, it's terrifying.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, that moment just before you go on and you're being introduced, I can't imagine there are many things. The
1: first week, right, so the first week I did the Pasadoble. So I'm standing on a box and you can't hear anything other than your heart. Other than your heart go ba-boom, ba-boom. ba-boom. It's, it's literally in your mouth.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And there you go, I'm dancing, the Pasadoble, Simon Rimmer and Karen Clifton. At that moment, if somebody said, listen, you, you don't have to do this, pop your coat on. Get off the box and you can go home. You would take that chance. You really would. It just, um, but it was brilliant. so
0: brave. To- so <sighs> when you got asked to do it, did you have anything in your mind that was sort of questioning whether no. you should?
1: Just because of what other people had said. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? I think the only thing, because I was, I was favourite to go out first. And I was, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Because I can't dance. No. I'm an old bloke. Uh, but I was. I was favourite to go out first. So I thought if I could get to week three, That'll be it. I got to week six. Yeah,
0: week six is. Yeah.
1: So I, I was that, made it. Brilliant. Very respectable. I, I was delighted. Yeah. Delighted.
0: Oh, it's such a cool thing to have done, isn't it?
1: It is, and it's really weird because it's old school and it's very cheesy, but there's something really because because you learn so much and you are so far out of your comfort zone. And the older we get, the less we push ourselves out of our comfort yeah. zone. And every day, you know, I mean, Karen was amazing. She, my dance partner, Karen, was just. One of the most amazing people ever. She kind of gave me the confidence, saying, "You can do this, you know. You really, really can." And that, thats kind of quite amazing. The thing is, because I'm pig-headed and determined, then I knew that nobody would work harder than me on it, and I, I loved it. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant.
0: Have you taught your wife the dances?
1: Ali used to dance. She's always kind of loved dancing. Right,
0: perfect. Um, now you've but, brought up. To her. Oh my
1: god, no! <laughs> I, I, I think I've, I've hung up my, my shiny shoes. No,
0: no, <laughs> you must carry on, Simon. <laughs> Right, we're on to the seventh and final Desert Island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island.
1: <sighs> I think I'd have to have a huge Indian banquet. oh yeah. Because um, I think always my go-to would be really good curry. So I'd start, well, I'd start with a glass of champagne. I'd have a glass of Billy Cart Salmon Rose, which is my favourite champagne. So I'd start with that. Then I'd move on to Kingfisher Lager. I'd have to have Papa Dom's. Um, I'd have to have uh, tandoori fish, tandoori lamb chops, unibarji, samosas um, to start. And then I'd have to have sag lamb. I'd have to have chicken tikka masala, probably have a prawn madras. I'd have pilau rice and I'd have plain nan. I don't really like kind of um, flavoured nans. And then I'd finish with some coffee.
0: Oh my God! Simon, I didn't think that was ever going to end. That sounds <laughs> delicious. <laughs> a feast for one. Would you have pudding, or would you just?
1: I'd have. I'd, I'd have. Uh, yeah. I'd, I would have. Have rasmalai to finish. Which have we ever had that? Which no. is like a little sort of milky, cream cheesy pudding uh, topped with pistachios. Beautiful. You don't see it in lots of Indian restaurants, but it's, it's really it's really light and delicate. It's nice. beautiful. I've never heard of that. No, it's lovely. I feel
0: ashamed.
1: Yeah, it's really nice.
0: And you're allowed to take with you one little luxury item from home. What do you want to take with you?
1: A food item.
0: It can be anything you
1: Anything. Want. Is it a cheat to say a Kindle?
0: No, I'm very kind.
1: Okay, fine. I will take a Kindle because I read. I think my... my when
0: right. do you read, Simon? When?
1: Uh, when I'm on trains. Okay. When I travel. Uh, when i travel i read i consume books i really really love it it is my sort of form of escape so i read crime novels mainly and i, I love them because they're kind of fast-paced and full of energy so yeah i think if i'm going to be on a desert island dish if i have a book for company or limitless books for company yeah, you,
0: you can have a limitless
1: fine then that, well, that'll do for me
0: okay amazing well with that oh thank you very much for sharing your desert island dishes with pleasure me. thank you Simon. Well, there we are. Who knew Simon was a professional ceramic decorator? Very cool. I found that really inspiring. He's built a restaurant empire and completely taught himself to cook, which is just awesome. Don't forget to head to www.desertislanddishes.co for the recipe I've created inspired by Simon's choice of Desert Island dishes. You can find me on Instagram at madebymargie. And Twitter as well, but it's a lot doing both, isn't it? So, to be honest, it's mainly Instagram. And I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.